Hey, and welcome to another episode of the Career HQ Podcast. Today, I am really excited for this conversation with Tracy Wallace. She's currently the Director of Marketing at Marketer Hire, but she's had a really interesting and varied career. She's worked in e-commerce, she's worked in media, she's run content teams. She actually now, as a side project, has a direct-to-consumer pillow company, which we talk about. She has a lot going on. She has some really interesting tips for folks who are looking to advance their own careers. I think you will really enjoy this conversation. Just quickly before we dive into that, we have a ton of things going on at Superpath right now, and I will just give you the very quick rundown. First is that Superpath Pro, which is our monthly membership for folks interested in honing their content skills is just been bustling lately. We've got courses launching. We have monthly networking events. We have office hours with expert marketers where you get to come and ask them questions. If you want to learn more about that, pro.superpath.co will have all the info. We also recently launched an ebook. It's called 10 Advanced Content Marketing Concepts. It's gotten a great response. It's 19 bucks. So if you're interested in some of this professional development stuff and advancing your knowledge, but aren't ready to make the commitment to the membership, that might be a good thing to check out. We have our Slack community, which recently hit 1,700 members. There's so many great conversations going on there right now. Folks are asking great questions, helping one another out, supporting each other. Really a lot of cool stuff happening right there. Superpath.co, of course, get the info on how to join that. It's free and everyone is welcome. And then lastly, our job board. We have a few really interesting jobs posted right now. Some director level roles, also a hybrid product and content role, which I think folks would be interested in. So all of that stuff, superpath.co. I will get out of the way and make room for Tracy Wallace. Hope you enjoy this conversation. Hey, I'm Jimmy from Superpath, and today I'm really excited to talk with Tracy Wallace. She and I have run in similar circles for a long time, and it's good to actually meet and connect for the first time with the record button on. How are you, Tracy? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. How are things in Austin these days? Oh man, Austin's great. I love Austin. It has officially turned into fall in Austin, which means that the temperature is no longer in the 90s, just right <laughs> there in the upper 80s. So holding, holding strong. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> I'm excited to talk to you for a bunch of reasons. One of them is that you just have a lot of really cool and interesting experience. You've done B2B, you've been in e-commerce, SEO, you've done your own consulting. I think you you run your own DTC brand too. I do. So there's a lot in there. I'm thinking we start at the very beginning. Awesome. I believe your first job in this content SEO marketing world was in SEO. Is that right? It was. It was at a company called Demand Media, which I graduated in 2010. And, you know, 2010 was maybe not the height. I guess the height had come before, but still felt like the height of the Great Recession. And there were not a lot of jobs, especially for graduating English majors. I had told my family that I was going to go on to become some like famous author or writer. And they very much encouraged me to like, just please go teach English and like make money that way. And I, and I didn't. So I I joined a company called Demand Media as what was then called a title manager. Now Demand Media 
for anybody who remembers that time in the world was considered a content farm. Oh, okay. I, <laughs> now that you say this, I remember demand media. Yeah. They ran eHow, Livestrong.com, yes. a bunch of others. Those were two of the main big ones. But essentially what they did was bought queries from search engines. So the queries that people were typing into the search engines and then put those through a series of tests, I guess, to like ultimately get a headline, like how to bake a pecan pie. And then from that headline, they would assign that headline out and writers would like write to that headline. And writers back then, I think were getting paid like $25 a post, which is also just insane. (laughs) But my job there was as a title manager. And what that meant was I was writing rules for all of the title approvers So when those queries would come in, like there was AI, even then, a bunch of different tools and technologies that they would use to, you know, get all the bad queries out. And so now it was like decent queries coming through, but like things that like machines, machine learning couldn't like detect was bad, right? So maybe things with slightly wrong grammar or whatever. And a title approver would get paid like one cent per approved title. And so they would just like be sitting at a computer clicking through, but we had all these rules by which they had to approve titles. So I was writing all of the rules that they had to use to say yes or no to a title for. That's so, (laughs) things have changed so much in 10 years. They have. (laughs) Did you seek out SEO or did you stumble into it by accident? Honestly, I stumbled into it by accident and what a happy accident it was. I mean, Demand Media IPO'd, I think it was my third week there and I was, you know, (laughs) fresh out of college. I was getting champagne. Like I was, I had no idea. I mean, I'm from small town East Texas. My family owns a cotton and pillow manufacturing company. So that's the world I came from. So it was all very, very new to me. Then I joined as a result of you know, I wrote all these title rules for people, but then I could also be a freelancer for the company and I could join as a content writer. And then I would start writing and just making 25 extra bucks here and there for writing articles for like eHow and Livestrong and all of that jazz. Right. My start in content was very similar. I was writing, I think I got paid 30 bucks an article to write stuff for a uh, company that created content for lawyers. Yeah. So like I would write a dozen articles about how to find a DUI attorney in Topeka, Kansas, stuff like that. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) That's like what the web was then. It was, it was weird. And then, you know, all the Google algorithm changes happened, all the good Google algorithm changes that have, that have made, you know, content farms, not a thing anymore. Thank goodness. But yeah, that was, that was where I got started. Now, before that, actually, um, when I was in college, I wrote for my college newspaper. So I went to Texas A&M and the Battalion, which at the time, I don't know if this is still the case, but it was like the most widely read student newspaper in the country. Really? Yeah. What Aggies are very loyal people. Like a lot of former students, as they're called, continue to subscribe to the Battalion. Oh, cool. But anyway, so yeah, so I wrote op-ed for them and edited a lot of their pages. So I got, I was into like newspaper design. Now I guess it would be web design, but we weren't publishing on the web at the time because that wasn't a thing. It was all still print. I was very into journalism before I graduated. Those are the kind of jobs I was looking for. I just couldn't get them. And demand media was the first place that offered me a paid gig. That's so cool. It looks like from there that you sort of drifted towards writing and towards e-commerce. Like what happened next? 
Yeah. Well, so I was at Demand Media for about a year and ended up talking to folks over at this company called Naturally Curly. So that's a, it is a company or a website for people with curly hair. I have curly hair. No, you can't see me, but I do. And so it was just super fascinating to me that they were looking for someone to come on and manage their blog. I applied, went and interviewed, got the job, and worked side-by-side with an SEO manager there as well. But what we were really doing was, one, publishing you know, educational content on how to take care of curly hair. This was back before... before curly hair had its heyday, I I guess. So like today, there's a lot of very good products for curly hair. A lot of that thanks to Naturally Curly, actually, which is just very, very cool. But sulfates and products are really, really bad for curly hair. Washing your hair the way that like herbal essences used to show on TV, terrible for curly hair. In fact, actually washing your hair with shampoo every day is really bad for curly hair. And it differs depending on like how tight the curls are. So anyways, we were publishing a bunch of content on all of that and really just trying to like make a way for curls. I mean, there were so many people back in, that was 2011, being told that they couldn't get a job as a lawyer, job as an anchor or whatever, if they didn't straighten their hair. I mean, my, my mother used to tell me that all the time to straighten your hair so that you look professional, which is just insane because it's the way that your hair naturally grows out of your head. So we were writing articles about a lot of that kind of stuff. We had grown a really cool, very diverse audience, curly hair, 60% of people in the world have curly hair. So there's a large audience there. And then as a result, because there were no large brands producing good products for people with curly hair, there were a bunch of women, particularly in in the United States, at least that was our main audience. But there are a bunch of women in the US who were making all these curly hair products at home, testing them and a variety of different things. And we would allow our audience to test those. We, we kind of created a platform for them. And then eventually some of those things went on to become full-time brands. So like Miss Jessie's, if anyone's familiar with that brand, Diva Curl, which didn't come up through Naturally Curly, but they partnered with Naturally Curly really, really early. And then over time, as all of these brands started getting, I guess, bigger or more popularity, you know, we started working with L'Oreal and Revlon and all of those folks. And that was when our CEO at, at the time who had, you know, founded the company uh, really started explaining to them that like, hey, people with curly hair care a lot about the ingredients in your products and you're not going to be able to sell them in the same way. So then there was like this kind of revolution of all these brands saying no sulfates. And like now most brands just don't include sulfates in their hair care products because they're terrible for your hair, whether you have curly or straight hair, but definitely if, if you have curly hair. So the world has changed a lot as a result of, of that, but we were publishing a bunch of content, connecting that content with commerce, which back then wasn't called content in commerce. It was just called like, like here's a product that I'm talking about in this blog right. <laughs> that you should probably try as, as a result because it sounds relevant. So I was there for about two years. And during that time, content syndication was really popular. And so we started working with Hearst and Condé Nast brands. So Marie Claire and Lucky and Elle to syndicate content because those brands, those magazines were publishing content on how to take care of curly hair, except that the content was clearly written by people who did not have curly hair. And that's such a funny example of like the non-subject matter (laughs) expert, right? Writing for subject matter experts. Yeah. I mean, it was crazy. And again, like people with curly hair, like they were a passionate group. Like they knew all the ingredients that went into all the hair care products. They could spot when someone was doing something wrong. Like it was just nuts. 
like talk about a niche early audience. But yeah, so those brands ended up partnering with us to use some of our content because they they couldn't seem to write curly content of their own. And that was when I really got to know some of the editors over at those publications and ended up, I was still very young at the time. I'd only been working full-time for about three years. And one of the editors at Elle was like, hey, you know, we have these summer internships. Would you want to come and be a summer intern? And I was like, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I was like, keep in mind, I'm from like, again, small town, East Texas. I've been reading these magazines my whole life. I had been told multiple times before that the only way people get into those internships is knowing somebody. And anyway, so I was stoked. I was like, yes, I will drop everything and I will move to New York. And for no money, I will work for you for three months. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, which is what I did. (laughs) How was that experience? Oh my goodness. Day one. Day one, I walked in and I pulled up their Google Analytics. And man, like, I knew that something was wrong then because naturally, Curly, when I had left, was getting over a million sessions a day. Oh, wow. That's massive. Oh, it was huge, huge. Like, I mean, people loved it. There's so much engagement, all these comments. And I still remember pulling up that Google Analytics dashboard after I had tweeted out to like 2.3 million people and there being like five people on the website. Wow. And I was like, what is happening? So it was kind of that, that first like red flag where I was like, wow, like these larger media brands look good from the outside but something's wrong here. And granted that, that was in the early days of, of their you know, digital sites and all of that jazz. But I'm skipping ahead a little bit, yeah. but if you, I mean, it looks like you hung around in New York for a while, had another job or two, and then you ended up at big commerce mm-hmm. as the global editor in chief, which is, which is really interesting because that's, it's B2B SaaS, but it's also, obviously it's e-commerce. It's kind of an interesting, it seems like maybe that was a little bit of a transition point in your own career where yeah, I'll talk to it, but those middle parts are actually really important. And I'll, I'll blow through it really quick because it'll explain that transition better. Oh, let's do it. Yeah, yeah. So after I left Elle, I ended up getting a job at Shoptiques, which was the very first fashion technology brand that had ever come out of Y Combinator. And so that was really my first introduction to like the technology world, the Y Combinator world, all of that stuff. Though I guess I had been at Demand Media with that like IPO, which was just a fluke, I think on my part. But anyway, so started working at Shoptique, wasn't there for too long. It was a brand new startup. I was probably employee number four and whoo buddy, I was not ready for that world. Didn't have much experience in it. And when I left, I ended up telling a friend of mine or a few friends of mine in New York, I was like, I'm done. I was like, I don't want to work or write about fashion anymore. I'm tired of, like I had been to all these fashion shows, I'd been to the parties, like all that cool stuff. All that cool stuff is cool, but like, man, the, the work itself, I wasn't all that into. I've always loved technology growing up, used to take apart computers, all of that jazz. And I just got tired of trying to sell women little black dresses, you know? I'm like, I'm like you don't need it. <laughs> like, it's fine. <laughs> like, go do something else. And one of my friends at the time worked for Mashable and got me a part-time role there for about six months, which was covering the beat on the intersection of commerce and technology, which is today what we call e-commerce. Uh, and I'm still... interesting. Yeah. So I started, you know, I interviewed Tristan Walker back before he launched Walker and, and Co. or the Walker brands. It was right before he did that. 
he told me that he had a scoop that he couldn't tell me just yet, but would email me when it was live. And I was like, okay, cool. Thanks. Anyways. So interviewed a bunch of folks there. And from there, knew that I wanted to move back to Austin. I'm, I'm from Texas and I really loved Austin, wanted to be closer to my family. Got a content marketing job down here in big data and loved it. And then BigCommerce ended up reaching out because they were looking for another content marketer on a team of about four or five content marketers. And I was like, oh my God, this is perfect. I love commerce. I love technology. Like that was what I left fashion for was to go be in that world. And so, yeah, so joined the team over at BigCommerce. And then in the first seven days, everyone who hired me was fired. Oh, wow. <laughs> Jeez. Which was crazy. And I, I still remember, you know, Eddie, the, the CEO at the time, also the, the co-founder of BigCommerce, turning and looking at me at the meeting where the whole marketing team was being told that the other content marketers had been let go. And he had pulled up one of my articles on Mashable and like turned and looked at me and he was like, and this is like, this is the future of content at big commerce. And I remember just looking at that article on Mashable being like, that is an article about a Star Wars cookie cutter. Like, I don't understand how this is relevant. But anyways, yeah, it was, it, it was a new era. I, you know, from then on was the only content person at the company, at least for the next three years, I was at BigCommerce for about four and a half. And yeah, grew that sucker from nothing to over, you know, a million sessions a month, which was amazing. Wow. That's amazing. I find it so interesting that you can see all the seeds early in your career of things you went on to do later. Right. And I'm sure in hindsight, it's all 2020. I'm sure it was not, it didn't feel so inevitable as it was unfolding though. No, it definitely did not feel as inevitable. I was, I mean, I have felt very lucky from day one just to be able to make money writing. That was truly all I ever wanted to do. It's what I told my family that I wanted to do. It was, it was why I studied English in school. It's why I worked at you know, the newspaper, whatever it was. I was never that interested in business. Never, like it never took, I think I took one business class and it was something about Excel. And I was like, this sucks and never wanted to do it again. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I found my way into all of it truly by writing and researching and interviewing and falling a little bit in love with, with SEO, mostly because you can truly control the web and it is just so fascinating. Right. You've worked in a few different areas. I mean, we're talking content, media, SEO, e-commerce. How does that like breadth of experience affect your career? Like a lot of people will tell you, you got to specialize, you got to specialize. And it seems like you've kind of done the opposite, but it seems like it's worked really well. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've specialized a lot in content in particular. And so I, I will tell people always, I'm like, look, I, I came into this because now I run marketing teams. So I make sure that I'm always explaining to folks that I come to marketing through content and from that through SEO. Mm -hmm. That is the basis of how I understand how to run businesses, which is produce good educational content, build trust, rank well, build a community, talk to people, be nice. That's how you do it. Yeah, yeah. I will say like working in all of the different industries, the, the biggest lesson I've probably learned, which is something I remind myself always, is that essentially what I learned that day at L, nobody knows what they're doing. 
Like it does not matter what that veneer is on them. Like, yes, like I, I could certainly go and tell you how to write a really great content brief and like give you keywords and a strategy to go out and execute. And like, I, I trust in that, but man, at like a larger level, no matter who it is that you are looking at, most folks are waking up every single day, putting in the grunt work and the grind and working at it. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but anybody with a real big, I don't know, any, again, any brand you look up to, I would imagine there are quite a few people there who, when you're like, how'd you get so successful? They're like, uh, hard work and luck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. I mean, definitely like I would echo that in my own experience. Like I feel like my career was a lot of hard work with no real clear direction where this was heading and then occasional breakthroughs where things worked out. I don't know what to take away from that other than you just work hard. And like you said, yeah. also be nice to people because people, when people like working with you, that really helps your career. It helps. I actually got a LinkedIn message from someone yesterday who I don't remember and I, and I hope he doesn't <laughs> listen to this, but who I don't remember, but he messaged me and was like, Hey, ever since you left big commerce, like I've really missed your content. I've missed your emails. Is there somewhere else I can find your stuff? Like it was really, really good and helpful. And I was like, Oh yeah. And so I like sent him the new stuff over at marketer hire. And I was like, sign up here. And he was like, okay, cool. Awesome. He was like, by the way, like I found all of these other cool people through you during that time. I still follow them. Like all of their stuff. So helpful. Like you should start some kind of paid subscription. Like I would pay for that. Like I want to see your stuff. And I was like, oh, you know, thought about it, but I don't know. Da, da, da. And he was like, look, if the only thing that I serve for is to encourage you to do this da, 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 and whatever. And now we're just like these friends on LinkedIn, like chatting back and forth about careers. And I'm like, that is all because I wrote consistent emails to somebody who subscribed for them that were nice. Like I would tell stories about things in them. Like that's it. That's so cool. That's so cool. Are you going to start a pay subscription? Oh God. I don't know when I have time. I don't think so. <laughs> Not right now. I'm also, I also don't like truly know how I feel about paid subscription stuff. Like that's another thing. I'm glad that there are a lot of creators out there being able to, to make money. That is super important for me though. If I started something, I'm like, do I need that money or could I just publish content and like, like, to make somebody like that guy's day and make his life yeah. easier. I mean, I, my big approach to content in general is not to waste anyone's time. What I mean by that is, God, there's so much stuff out there on the internet and some of it's really long. Some of it's really good. Most of it's not. And we don't have an unlimited amount of time. We have, you know, politics trying to pull our attention away. We have our jobs. We have a core team. You have kids, you have pets. Like you, like, like your life is limited and the time that you have with it is limited. And all of us by and large want to do something that helps us, helps our family and hopefully helps people that like come after we're gone, just live a little easier. Right. Mm. And like by and large, at least from what I found, that is why like most people are waking up in the morning. They're getting up and they're going out there to do something that makes a little bit of a difference and matters in some way, shape or form. And so for me, that like content angle is always like one, recognizing that for people, reinforcing the idea that like this stuff is hard, whether it's starting a business, whether it's hiring people, whether it's trying to figure out what like your purpose is, whether it's handling grief, because I've, I've worked in that industry as well. Like this stuff is hard and there's a good reason why it is. 
And then finally, like, here are some things you can actually do that are helpful and you don't have to do them. Or if you do do them, you don't have to do them in this way. But like, I try to get as detailed as possible and take that learning curve from like maybe a mountain to like a smaller hill for people. Right. That makes sense. Content is so cool in that way because, because it is about writing and writing is so personal. And even if you were writing for a wide audience, ultimately it's, you you can create these one-to-one connections with people. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, that's like, to me, that, that I think is the biggest benefit. I started when I was little, uh, like a little magazine that I would distribute to all the houses on my street. It mostly detailed the activity of all the cats, but For me, like the biggest reward of all of that was when my neighbors would say something about it, right? When they would say thank you or like, oh, I liked this about it. And I find that's still true today. Like when people are just like, oh, like I saw you quoted this thing. And I'm like, man, that was like near the bottom of that 5,000 word article. Like they really got there, you know? So like, it's just (laughs) like, it's exciting. And like, that's true for everybody. I mean, that's, that's part of the internet and being nice on the internet too, I think is like, continuing to do that for other people. I think most people have imposter syndrome and feel like an imposter a lot of the time. And I think it's just helpful to support the community of people on the internet who are doing similar things to you, read their stuff, comment on it, help them get it out and share it. I don't know. It's not a believer that, that the pie is only one size. I think, I think we all can get a pretty big share. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. I love that. I want to talk about some of the work you're doing now, but I am very curious about the D2C company that you started. And I'm thinking it may be related to something you mentioned earlier, which is that your family has a cotton and pillow <laughs> business going. Yeah. what I'm, I'm, I'm so curious about that. Yeah. So it's called Doris Sleep. I sell bed pillows made with recycled plastic bottle fiber. All the plastic bottles are from the United States. They're recycled in the US and then the pillows are made in the US as well. Yeah, so I I started that. My grandmother's name is Doris or was Doris. And I started it mostly as like trying to prove something to my family. So my family owns a cotton and pillow manufacturing company that my grandfather started in the 1950s. And it has been lifeblood of our family. I mean, my, my mom and both of her sisters work there. Pretty much everyone on my mom's side of the family works there, except for me and one other cousin who's a, who's a lawyer for Exxon. We're kind of the, the black sheep in that way, I guess, not, not working there. But they ended up getting this like sample a couple Christmases ago of fiber. It was recycled plastic fiber from somewhere in North Carolina. And they were laughing about it. And they were like, nobody, nobody would buy a bed pillow made of plastic bottles. Like, this is just dumb. And I was like, mm, I could think of millions of people in a variety of different states that would buy that. So like, yes, I will take it. And so, yeah, so I did it mostly to prove to them that people would buy it. And that's how I got started. And I- That's so cool. Yeah, I will say I, I don't do too terribly much with it. I probably make about 10 to 20 sales a month, which is exciting for me. I get told all the time that I have great customer service. And I'm like, well, yes, because I'm truly just doing it to help you. But yeah, eventually I will do more with it. But yeah, I mean, I, I keep reordering products from my family every single time I do. They're shocked that I cannot believe this is working. And I'm like, I told you guys, other people in the world think I'm an expert at e-commerce. And they're like, no, Tracy. <laughs> That's so cool. I actually think I might order one because I'm like one of those people who just buys pillows at like Target 
and Costco and yeah. they're never very comfortable. <laughs> so the, the thick bed pillow for side sleepers, I'm looking at it right now. It looks really nice. Yeah. Yeah. You should get it. They are. They're very, very nice. They're machine washable though. I will say I had one customer who washed his 20 times in six months and sent me an email saying that the pillow didn't even hold up for six months. And it was like very lumpy. And like I asked about it and he was like, well, you said it was machine washable. I washed it 20 times over the last six months. And anyways, that seems like a lot. <laughs> yeah. I refunded him, but I will say they're machine washable, but please don't wash them 20 times in six months. They will not hold up to that. <laughs> <laughs> this is cool. I'm going to definitely link to this in our show notes so people can awesome. check this please out. Do. This is awesome. <laughs> and, and again, I know we're kind of skipping over things. What, what are you up to now? I'm curious. I mean, it looks like you've kind of you're doing content, but in addition to that, you are running a marketing team, which I yeah. imagine is doing other things besides just content. Yeah. Other things besides content, hiring content teams now, in fact, but I am over at an organization called Marketer Hire now, which is a marketing talent marketplace, which is a mouthful to say, but it, on one side, we have fast growth brands and fortune 500 brands. So, you know, Netflix is a client, Allbirds is a client. And then on the other side, we are connecting those brands with pre-vetted marketers. So we vet all the marketers. They go through two rounds of interviews. We only accept about 5% of the folks who apply. But essentially what we're trying to do is become a pipeline of clients for them because contrary to what you might think when you look on LinkedIn and a variety of other places, not all marketers want to be like blowing out their personal brand. <laughs> but that doesn't mean yeah, yeah. that they aren't good marketers. Um, and so we, we have some folks who are full-time freelancers who use us as their only source of clients. We have a lot of people who are part-time or only doing some hourly work who can get some really cool clients through us. So yeah. And then over there, I'm building up the content side of the house, hiring for some content people. Um, I do run the entire marketing team. We do quite a bit of paid digital as well, but the company's only been around for about a year and a half and it has grown so fast, which is very cool. The product market fit is amazing. And now I'm just trying to, you know, do what I did over at BigCommerce, right? Get educational content out there, teach people about how to hire marketers, when to hire them. One of the big problems we have, which people on this show might very much appreciate is we have a lot of clients who will come to us and be like, okay, cool. I want one marketer and I need them to do social and email and write all this copy and SEO too. And yeah. then like some paid digital. And we're like, whoa, buddy, like that's not, that's not how it works. So a big part of what we're doing is trying to educate brands on the value of marketers and of experts in particular marketing disciplines. Marketing over the last 10 years, if not more, has really kind of gotten the like bad end of the innovation stick, like engineers for a while. And maybe even now we're considered like, you know, the all-stars of technology. And so many technical founders are like, yeah, we'll just build this product and then we'll just like get it out and everyone will love it. And that's just not, it's just not the way that it works. And I think marketers know that really well, but I think a lot of our work has been very much undervalued and marketer hires out there to change that. We're going to get all the expert marketers on the platform, keep connecting them with these really great brands, but also before we connect them, really educating those brands on, Hey, you can't ask this one marketer to do everything. You're, you're setting them up for failure. It's just impossible for things to work that way. I can't even tell you how many marketing folks I talked to are in that situation where they came in to do one thing. Now we're doing a dozen things. 
yeah. and it's really stressful and it makes it very difficult to succeed at any of them. Right, right. Well, and and then that, you know, plays into imposter syndrome and like, I mean, all, all these uh, mental health. I mean, so many things. Marketers, like I said, have really gotten the bad end of, of the deal over the last 10 years in terms of all the innovation and, you know, new technology that we've seen. So yeah, that's what marketer hires there for, helping marketers and brands to find each other because brands struggle to hire good marketers, especially quickly, mostly because they don't know what to ask. They don't know what they're looking for. They come in and they say, I want you to do everything. Right, <laughs> and, right. and then they scare away all the good people because they're like, no, thank you. I've been in that position before. So we're, we're out there trying to level the playing field, but we have our work cut out for us. There's a lot of content that needs to be produced to educate people, a bunch of stuff. So we're, we're getting it started. I've only been there for about a month and a half, but we're already seeing some, some really great results. So that's super exciting. That's awesome. I'll definitely obviously link to that too, because I think our audience will be especially interested in marketer hire. Awesome. Are there things that you would, lessons or insights that you might offer to someone earlier in their career? I mean, you mentioned at least two things so far. One is just be nice and be good to work with. That really helps. And another was specializing in that one skill, like in your case, content, and then kind of like building these supplementary skills around that. Any other things that you might offer to someone who's two years out of college and trying to figure out what to do with their with their career? Yeah. Well, and I mean, actually what, what I'm about to say, I think applies to everyone. And it was a piece of advice that I got from a former boss of mine, also my favorite boss to date. But when he first started, and um, this is over at Big Commerce, the first thing he said to, to me and one of my colleagues, or it was only the three of us at the time, is he said, every single week, I want, and this was not in quarantine time, so uh, every single week, I want y'all to like Google or like look on LinkedIn or whatever it is, find someone on LinkedIn, multiple people that like you think that if you ask them to go get coffee with you would say no and ask them. And every week, I want you to go get coffee with somebody. Like he was like, I am telling you, you will be shocked at the number of people who you think are like so high up, so whatever, like whatever it is that aren't going to say yes to you. I promise you most of them will. And one, it's 100% true. Two, doing that, I did that for about two years. And honestly, I should start it up again. No, I guess two, two, two and a half years. That sped up the trajectory of my career in a way that like, I don't know if I even fully understand how, how impactful and how helpful it was. I mean, it was how I got into leading marketing teams, not just being on marketing teams. It's how I find candidates for roles now. Um, I mean, so, so many different things. I mean, it's how I've built partnerships. Like, it's just absolutely insane. These people ultimately become your friends, but two, people want to work with you. Yes, if you're nice. Yes, all, like if you're good, all of that jazz. But people like to work with you if they know you. That's it, right? And just like grabbing coffee with somebody. And again, you can do this over Zoom, whatever it is. And just being like, hey, like, what's tough for you in your role? What are you trying to solve? Like, what's going well? Like, whatever. And again, it can be 15, 30 minutes, doesn't need to be long. But those conversations have truly changed my life. And I highly recommend them to absolutely everybody I talk to. Like, if you feel like you are working really hard and aren't able to get ahead, those will get you ahead. That's such good advice. And there's been a few other people on this podcast who have made similar recommendations, so a little bit different, but the same idea, like reach out, yeah. make the connection, see how you could help them. Like I can definitely think of a few instances in my own career where either I established a connection and then maybe three years later, it resulted in some cool thing that I would never have anticipated. And then vice versa, like yeah. someone reaches out to me and then 
a year later, I'm like, oh, I wonder who would be a good fit for this really cool gig. And I'm like, oh yeah, that, that person would be good. You know, it's... Well, and I mean, even doing it, like I used to travel a lot for big commerce. And so I would do it when like, if I'd land in New York City or LA uh, or wherever, I would find different people. And next thing I know, those people are inviting me to speak at conferences, be on podcasts, do like these online things. Like what you have to keep in mind is like, everybody is looking for some way to one, either improve their personal brand, two, be better at their job, and like three, just get shit done. And if you can be a reliable, nice person who can help them do those things, they're going to call on you every single time. Yeah, that's awesome. I cannot help but just like slip in a quick plug for Superpath Pro because we pair people up once a month with a peer and we give them... (laughs) Like we know it's a little uncomfortable to just like get on a Zoom call with someone you don't know. So there's an agenda and you can work through that if you want, or if you're just, you know, having a great time chatting, you don't need to, but had to slip that in there. Yeah. Well, I mean, on, on that even, and I, I will say when I first started doing the, those coffee things, I remember complaining to my boss being like, I hate networking. I hate all of this fake stuff. Like da, 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 da. First of all, you will get much better at it over time. And two, it's not fake stuff. Like that is truly how relationships are built. It is by starting with meeting somebody that you do not know and finding some kind of common ground. Like that's how and where it starts. Again, it can be awkward at first when you're getting started, but over time you figure out how to get real good at it. Yeah, definitely. We've covered a lot in a short period of time. (laughs) And I really appreciate you've been very generous with your knowledge and your time. Where can people find you, connect with you, see what you're up to? Yeah, for sure. Twitter is probably the best place, just at TraceWall, T-R-A-C-E-W-A-L-L. I post a bunch on there. I respond to direct messages on there. I'm on LinkedIn too. Marketer Hire, doing a bunch of stuff for them. Door Sleep, I do that stuff. You can email me there and I'll respond because I have great customer service. Um, (laughs) But (laughs) Twitter is probably a better place to get in touch. Okay, cool. Awesome. Tracy Wallace, Director of Marketing at Marketer Hire. Really appreciate it. It has been awesome talking with you. Of course. Anytime. I appreciate it. Let's do it again soon. Cool. Bye. Take care. 